Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everybody. I'm Emily Severidge. And I'm Victoria Holmes. And welcome to the very first episode of What the Politics. This is a new WNCT podcast segment where we're going to be bringing political conversation into your homes, making conversation a little more comfortable. We're going to be talking about different topics, having different guests. Our very first guest on our podcast is Dr. Jonathan Morris from East Carolina University. My name's Jay. Technically, it's Jonathan Morris. I go by Jay. I am a professor of political science at East Carolina University. I've been here. This is my 18th year at the university, and I am the senior polling scientist for the ECU poll that is run out of the Center for Survey Research. Yes, and Dr. Morris is also one of my former political science professors when I was at East Carolina University. So comes around for full circle. It's pretty awesome to have him here for our first podcast. So thank you again, Dr. Morris, for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Emily. Um, every podcast, we're going to start off with a quote that is related to the topic that we are covering for this segment. So I'm going to let Victoria take it away with that quote. So yes, today's quote is from George Orwell, and it says, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. And so that's just something that we want people to have in their mind as we go about this discussion. And it's not necessarily something to um, define the discussion, but I think it's a good starting off point. And just going from there, Dr. Morris, do you have anything to say about that quote? I've heard that quote from Orwell. And uh, like several quotes um, relating to the people as participants in a, in a government, like in a representative democracy like we have, or a democracy, um, you are contingent upon an informed and active electorate. Now, one way to undercut the ability of the electorate to effectively engage in the process is to destroy their sense of understanding of history, their understanding of what's going on in the world, their understanding to question their own understanding of what's going on, um, or just to confuse them. And so when you have an electorate that is misguided or not active or engaged um, representative democracy any kind of democracy sooner or later will come down and be and will be replaced by one of the more ancient forms of uh, government like dictatorships and theocracies oligarchies that we've seen we, we still see throughout the world today. Right. And so this is why, you know, our first topic that we want to talk about is civil discussion and why that is so important. It's, you know, our job as an American people to 
you know, be researched, be well-educated, be, you know, well-informed about the things that are going on with policies, with our government, with our leaders, um, because it directly affects us. And, and, you know, not engaging in those conversations and engaging in that research is really only detrimental to us as the American voter. So, you know, really knowing our history and understanding the way that our government is functioning for us is extremely important. And having those conversations in a, you know, very candid way um, with other people who, you know, have different opinions than you is extremely important. Yeah, I think we have some uh, maybe grandiose ideas of what kind of political discourse existed throughout the history of the United States. It was never pretty. It was never uh, the well-educated masses having um, civilized, informed discussion. Um, What we had in the past, and even in, in modern American history, there seemed to be a area of agreed upon truth or some areas of agreed upon sources of information that were free of bias. Um, no, and you did not have that in the beginning of the republic. Um, the way people got political information was from very partisan newspapers produced and associated with either political interest groups or party officials, and they were biased and they were sent out to a pretty small segment of the population, the part that the po- section that population that could read, population that was engaged in politics. Which is a lot was a lot less than that, but this is a very vicious time where there was not very much at all political discourse. We like to um, romanticize the era of the founding fathers and the beginning of the republic. The reality of it is that 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 body politic was very very polarized and um, vicious in terms of the types of language used to describe one another and persuade, try to persuade voters. Um, unfortunately, we've kind of come full circle to that, where um, that era was called the partisan press, and now we've got the polarized era of media consumption that falls heavily in us choosing media sources that fit with our own preconceived notions. It's one of the main contributors to the fact that the the left is, is moving at, at, at further away from the right. I mean, I'm not saying that the left is moving as far to the left as the right is moving to the right or vice versa. I'm just saying these two sides, these two parties are moving very far apart. Giuliani says a Biden presidency would threaten the American way of life. He's a Trojan horse with Bernie AOC. Speaking in front of the Statue of Liberty, Schumer said President Trump's policies have hurt the soul of the nation. America, Donald Trump has quit on you. And it's, it's, ne- ne- it's most evident where we have elected officials that are working on our behalf, and that's in Congress. Their voting records, their actions are as divided as they have been since Reconstruction, 
So we have a you know, we we have a a big gap between the left and the right, and as you said, there's a major problem in trying to facilitate some degree of civil discourse. If there is, there are very many. If there are that many outlets that facilitate um, real political discourse, I don't know of them anymore. Uh, we've gone into a world of talking heads, bringing on guests that agree with them on television, social media circles where they agree with each other, and uh, very little discourse and very little um, room for compromise among the masses or among elected uh, among elected officials. And what I'm hearing, um, and tell me if this is kind of going towards what you're saying is something that's driving this division, something that's driving this increased polarization are these echo chambers where people can use their phone, their laptop or whatever device to choose what news they hear. We don't have to make a conscious choice to get news that fits with our preconceived notion. The, the algorithms do it for us. We make a conscious choice to try to receive information from both sides. Zabo says Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are attempting to clean up their platforms for the sake of consumers and the American election. You know, the, the, in, where it's harder to be friends with people that you disagree with politically, and there have been a lot of studies pointing to that, you know, people don't date across the political aisle as much as they used to. They don't have friends that um, are of different political affiliations that as much as they used to. And so this is reflected in social media and the type of information that type of information that floats around from one within each of your, as you said, in a word that's used quite often in political science and political communication within their own echo chamber. So you don't see or hear counter arguments. And quite often we have what goes on is called cognitive dissonance. When you when you hear a counterargument, it's very easy to discard. Um, and instead, you are more likely to believe that information that fits with your preconceived construction of the political world. And you know now it's in the United States, especially it's left versus right, Republican versus Democrat. And so it's a very new thing to see how we're cut off from each other. Even though, even though that social media, and I've been studying media and politics for 25 years, you know, the idea was that the internet and then social media was something that would democratize America and open up new avenues for political discourse. Um, the, the reality couldn't be further from the truth. I do want to go off on that point because one of the main arguments has been social media, having these devices are allowing political information to be more accessible to a larger audience who maybe have not had um, a background in which they can pay thousands of dollars for a college education. Yes, um, because of the internet, the amount of data that we have and information, news that we have access to 
at a affordable cost um, has increased beyond exponentially. Um, the amount of data that we can access just in the palm of our hand compared to 25 years ago is um, a revolutionary jump in information technology. The problem is that they've become more informed on things that support their pre-existing perspectives. But then they become, then they see more and more information that vilifies the other group. We call them out, the out group. And so you become quite, in, many Americans have become quite astute on why their group is right and the other group is wrong. America deserves a president who is looked up to not laughed at. Settle for Biden. That's the hashtag promoted by AOC and the socialists. But that's not an education. That's talking points about why our side is good and the other side is bad. So despite all the information out there on the internet, um, it doesn't make for a more educated voter on the whole. Now, there is some evidence to show that um, people of lower socioeconomic status that do have um, access to the Internet are more, uh, slightly more knowledgeable on some base issues about politics than they were with that they would be without that 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 access. But for the most part, we use online media to entertain ourselves and to make to to strengthen our political points and to learn why certain politicians, certain political figures are good, and then much more significantly, why they are uh, evil unqualified, un-American, whatever you'd like to say, however you'd want to put it. And that, and that kind of feeds into, you know, clickbait as well. I mean, that's one of the, you know, biggest things with social media and news outlets is, you know, they want to put, um, you know, you put a few, a few words, a sentence for a headline, and that's what people see. People might not even, you know, click on the article and thoroughly read through it, but you're seeing, you know, a few sentences, Trump did this or, you know, Biden did this and people take it for face value. And then you become, you get polarized, aggressive um, opinions from just one sentence. It's interesting. And like you said, you know, people who go onto social media, they're not going on social media and oh, let me look up, you know, someone's different opinion than me. They're going on there to reinforce their previous ide ideologies. Yeah, and let's, I, I would say it, it, the word ideology um, in, in – we use that word quite a bit, our own ideologies, and we, we kind of tie it to liberal or conservative, but – Really, what has been found is that the American people don't think ideology, ideologically. Um, we our attachments to political figures and political parties, and even our views on some of the issues, um, don't fit with the definition of an ideology. An ideology is like a 
a like a, a conf- like a well-formed series of beliefs that have an underlying um, value system. We don't. We have our issues that we that we appe- that we like and our issues that we don't like, and sometimes they're it's a hodgepodge. But what we do have is this sense of group and in groups and out groups. And so that's the way America has evolved is that not even it's not so much about party, it's just about we're part of a group and we're against the other group. And we're going to, I mean, not necessarily even communicate amongst our own group, but the primary source of communication, especially online, within a group when it comes to politics is to vilify the outgroup. And that's done quite often. And when it comes to clickbait, that is a political tool, but so very often it's also an advertising tool. Um, and a fun, well, uh, when I mean advertising, I mean, you know, a fundraising tool. So you're advertising a candidate because let's face it, advertising candidates, advertising a product, what's the difference? So that has really not that much of a difference in the United States. So um, that is just part of the landscape right now. Um, and it has been, it continues to be. But, you know, you've got our most recent poll we did of North Carolinians, of likely voters, uh, you know, we we asked them you know, who they intend to vote for and the different races and everything else. We asked them on, on the on the race for the the presidency in North Carolina, um, you know, of the candidates that, or of the people that said – these likely voters that said, "I support, you know, Joe Biden. Or I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to vote for Joe Biden. Or I'm going to vote for Donald Trump." We asked, "Is your mind made up for sure, or is it possible that you change your mind?" Ninety-six percent said their minds made up. So there aren't a lot of people out there listening to both sides of the uh, of the discussion trying to weigh their options in a in a way you'd like an undecided voter to do in in politics uh there's just it's not it's not really there and i make jokes to people all the time um about you know the kind of news that i follow and that I follow, you know, I spend at least 10 or 15 minutes a day with watching the different cable news stations. And people are appalled that I can, depending on who I'm with, people are appalled. How could you listen to that? How could you listen to that? And I just say, and my wife quite often answers for me. She says, it's his job. And so it's like it's like I have to make up a, a reason. It's it's not that people say, "Oh, that's a great idea that you follow both both sides." It's that you know why in the world would you do that? And I, my wife feels like she has to stand up for me and give an excuse. <laughs> 
See, and I've always I've always said the same thing to people is I, you know, since I've had an iPhone, I've always had, you know, CNN, I have Fox, I have ABC, I have MSNBC, I have all these different um, news apps on my phone. You know, if a, a notification comes out with a, a new story, breaking news, I go to each of those sources. And, you know, because mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. going to be a little different there. I mean, it's not an opinion, the way that they word things, the way they approach the situation, the story is going to be told differently. And, and you, you have to, you know, look at all of those in order to form your own opinion. So I've, I mean, I know I've always done that. I've always told other people and they've said the same thing to me, like, oh, that's weird. Or, or you're kind of crazy. Like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, I, you know, you, you're doing yourself a disservice by not fully educating yourself and forming your own opinion yeah. So moving forward, because we're talking about how the increased polarization is definitely causing a variety of issues here in the United States. How do we move forward as a nation? How, what is the, the steps to go back to at least just starting a discussion without one person being heated or one person just completely shutting down? Because you're a professor. And obviously, both of these points are a variety of differing opinions are going to be voiced or explored. As the American people, how can we start back up civil discussion? Yeah, well, as a professor, I'm better at pointing out problems than coming up with solutions. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the answer is, and it's got to be a more informed electorate and an electoral system that also allows more engagement. I mean, compared to other industrialized democracies around the world, our voting process is more restrictive than almost any other country. What do you mean by that? And we don't have, I mean that we have multiple elections per year. Um, and that has actually a, 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 an effect on voter turnout by driving it downwards um, by just having two parties. Uh, the research has shown a two-party system uh, pushes turnout downward. Um, our registration laws are much more – I mean it depends on the state, but in a lot of states we have pretty – uh, restrictive registration laws. We um, we don't let people. In a lot of countries will take a day of a holiday to allow people to vote. So you know you don't have to worry about work and voting. Um, now we've done some things. We've lifted as far as early voting goes. The debate over mail voting continues. Well, it doesn't continue. It just kind of recently started, thanks to the president. But um, it's if we can get more people involved, that would be good. But I just, you know, I, I hate to say it because it's, it, it's almost cliched that I, me, I'm an educator, so of course I'm going to say the way to fix the problem is education, and that's. <laughs> I wish I had a more complete answer for you, but the 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 more dramatic steps of eliminating this divisive um, political environment just 
I'm not sure they're realistic. Uh, so, I mean, we can't force people to get a daily dose of both sides. I mean, we can't – we could have Congress go back to the fairness doctrine, which was you know, pretty much saying every channel that uses the airwaves in any way needs to – um, devote a, an, I think it was a reasonable amount of time to covering public affairs that represents both sides. There, there are just things that you, there are things that can be done that that just are going to be very difficult. Um, as as how we got to polarization, which was a top down process, um, I think the way to get to a more or uh, a, a less divided. Um, the, more, the most realistic way to get to a less divided electorate is to have a less divided set of elected officials, and um, I don't. That, that's that's really difficult. You know, they they are beholden to voters. They are beholden to um, their uh, their donors, their party, and. Um, it's it's a very difficult cycle to break. The question is, can a society like ours maintain a true representative democracy in which the people have some say um, in such an era of polarization? I don't know. I don't know. Our democracy I – mean, all the students that I teach in, in, at, <laughs> at ECU and everyone I talk to – um, you know, they think democracy and the people's involvement in the political process, they think it's it's been there forever and it's going to be there forever. And that's just not the case. This is a country that is – they call it the American experiment because there's only been a couple years of – a couple hundred years of representative of representative democracy. Dictatorships, theocracies, oligarchies, those have been there for thousands of years. Real, a real Republican democracy in which the people elect the decision makers is a very, very new concept. And other, a lot of other countries have tried something similar and it hasn't worked out. And so the American experiment is still just that. Five years from now, 10 years from now, because what I'm hearing from you is that your outlook isn't necessarily so positive. Where do you see us in the near future? I'm not even talking 100 years from now. I'm talking five, 10 years from now, the next presidential election. Um, I have faith in the American public's adherence to the rule of law. And it doesn't matter what kind of government you have, dictatorship, theocracy, republican democracy. Um, the key purpose of any government is maintaining rule of law, order. Um, and the American people, I think, still respect the rule of law. Um and I think it's that respect for the rule of law and 
our still to some degree, although it's shaky, uh, you know, our belief in American institutions, if those two things can hold and we can trust institutions just enough to have peaceful transfer of power and we believe in the rule of law as it applies to peaceful transfers of power, then the then a republic will be okay. But the second we stop adhering to the rule of law, if, say, a candidate for president just decides outright to not accept a um, an election outcome and just decide to change the rules and maybe get the military or police or whatever groups to to back that person up and the American people allow it to stand, then you know, then you got a major, major problem. But if the American people believe that the process of an, say an election was a free, fair, and open process, then uh, you know, hopefully, then even if a candidate were to say, "Well, I don't accept the outcome of this election," the the proclaimed winner will have enough legitimacy among the American people and in different forms of law enforcement in the military to remove said person without force. Bouncing off what you said, kind of, I think, you know, our biggest point here from me and Victoria, and and I think from, you know, what you're saying is it's it's really up to people to educate themselves first. Um, and once you're able to do that, once you're able to, you know, hear both sides, form your own opinion, really understand the policies and and the government workings that are going on around you is then when it's almost able it's a trickle up effect almost you're then able to start electing you know representatives for yourself that are legitimized or or you know have your best interest and i think it's important to note which i i I failed to note is that there was a saying that goes back decades is all politics are local um the the rebuilding the you know the the strengthening of american democracy is going to have to happen not just from the top like i i mentioned um having um officials that respect the rule of law officials that um can operate institutions in a, in a comprehend in, in a, in a way that um, the, the American people will trust. But you know, involvement at the local level is another way that um, our our systems stay functional. Involvement in local government, state government, is so very important. Because so many of the things that touch our lives come from state and local government, not from policies out of Washington. Now, since we've had a pandemic, since we've had a pandemic, you know, the kind of in, in you know economic issues, the federal government typically takes more of an active role and is expected to take more of an active role. But if the American public can 
get involved, stay involved at the local level. And it doesn't have to even be political engagement. There's plenty of other ways to be socially engaged in the development of our own communities. Then that would trickle up to maybe a healthier democracy at the national level. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up, I think, this session of our first podcast. Um, for those of you who are, you know, more interested in in this topic, in, you know, researching social media and the polarization of United States, um, I have two book recommendations for you guys. Um, Frenemies, How Social Media Polarizes America by Jamie Settle is a great book that talks about the end framework or circulating content within social media and how that affects what users see on a daily basis. Therefore, you know, feeding into um, political opinions and attitudes. Um, Another great book, if you guys, again, are interested in this topic is Hashtag Republic by Cass Sunstein. Um, Another great book that looks into groupthink um, and implications on the implications that has on political opinion. So again, that's going to wrap up this political podcast for today. Dr. Morris, again, thank you so, so much for joining us um, for this discussion. 